Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. And welcome to the fourth of our podcast recorded at Word in Your Park on Saturday the 17th in Holland Park. And who else could it be but uh, Danny Baker, who we managed to winkle out of his uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, place where he normally, normally ekes out a solitary. Know, barely exchanging a word with a human being, you know, where we said, you've got to come out and meet people, you know, be in the sunshine. And so he reluctantly agreed to do it, didn't he, Mark? He did. He, he was, oh, God, he's hilarious. Now, we got something out of the Cheyenne Retiring Cove. But uh, including, and I, I'd say it, it's it's worth hearing for this alone, an, an unbelievable, spontaneous riff that he started about the music hall legend Bud Flanagan. Wasn't that amazing? Just basically like reading a book about Bud Flanagan, which I think on the way down. This is classic. This is, you know, like my children always used to say to me when they had creative writing classes to do. They used to say, it's all right for you. Interesting things happen to you. I said, no, no, not true at all. It, 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 more interesting things do not happen to certain people. It's just certain people know how to make a story. Exactly. It's as simple as that. Oh, Danny does. He just did about. He must have done ten minutes on the early life of Bud Flanagan, age fourteen, stowing away in an ocean liner uh, to America. Extraordinary stuff. And then you get his idea for a Beatles documentary, which is good too. Another fantastic story he told was about a promoter. Do you remember in South London? who locked himself in his porter cabin to avoid the wrath of the acts that he'd booked. It's just simply brilliant. Really worth hearing. <laughs> Where are you going there? Oh, that will all become a fun. Oh, he's got props. Thank you very much. He's... Hey, Broadway, have you missed me? <laughs> <laughs> I nearly missed this place. I came here, and apologies to Gary, he was five minutes away from the end of his act, and uh, his interview, he's not going to act as such, is he? He, uh, And he was just finishing, I could not find this place. 
I've never been to Holland Park in my life. Sorry, <laughs> I genuinely haven't. And in my memory, you came out of Holland Park Station and there was Holland Park because that would make sense. I've been at a Holland Park Station and I walked up and down here and up and down here because on your uh, description, it just said turn left into Holland Park. But that doesn't... It, you know that book in the 80s? Um, Kit Williams put a book out in the 80s called Masquerade oh, where yes. somewhere in Britain was a little tiny golden rabbit buried. buried that was finding this place today. <laughs> And I was so, I mean, I hate being late for anything. And I say I missed a bit of Gary's, but, and then, and here we are. And anyone who's ever been to Florida knows this is exactly the kind of space where they usually put on animal acts. They, <laughs> they have a, they, they do have a cockatoo come on stage and ride a little bike. Pig comes out, serves drinks. The <laughs> monkey comes around and counts. Uh, anyway, good to be here, everyone. And it's been, I said, the first time I've been out in 18 months. We're supposed to finish up past four. I wouldn't count on that. <laughs> There's an opera has to take place here yes, later there on. Is. Yes, so sorry, me, I let, do apologise, David. I'm so sorry. One thing I meant to start with, and not how I found this place. This could not be a more August date, and this is true. 17th of July, as we speak. This in the rock and roll calendar is one of the, boom. This is solid because on the 17th of July, 1765, William Grenville resigned as prime minister to re be replaced one hour later by Lord Rockingham. This sounds straight out of Blackadder. <laughs> exactly. Anyone who knows Hootsman, I didn't know Lord Rockingham was a real person. Real person. I had no idea that Lord Rockingham was an actual real person, and that's how far ahead they were back in the days of 1765. They brought in Hootsman as their prime minister. And, and not, his name was Harry, Roberts, Harry Robertson, who was... Uh, played the uh, uh, Lord Rockingham. But here's the thing. The only thing we know for sure about uh, uh, Harry Robertson, who was Lord Rockingham's 11, is that his name wasn't Harry Robertson. His name was Harold Robinson, right? And he made loads of those kind of gimmicky records. But when he first got his check from Decker after having a hit with Hootsman, where he was an A&R man and arranger, it was made, his name is Harold Robinson, it was made out of Harry Robertson, but in those days, to go to a bank and get that change would have been impossible. So he just thought, what am I, he just opened another account in that name and became that person because of a check, his paycheck. But many years later, and he was, he was on loads of novelty records, as well as being prime minister in 1765, he was on loads of novelty records, but also, he is the person who arranges the strings on Nick Drake's Riverman. I was going to say. Same fella. Sandy Denny albums as well. Yes, he does. Yes, it, Sandy He's Denny the albums. Same guy. So Do there you know? go. It shows you now what a farce we've got in government, because in the old days they were versatile. Yeah. <laughs> Continue, uh, so, anyway, welcome everybody. Sorry. Uh, I've, got to, I've got to ask the obvious question, because this is a kind of polite um, relation of the rock festival. Have you ever been to a rock festival? Nope. No, not, not, not for a ever. second. No, not by accident or design, or just never have done. Uh, uh, you told me you hadn't, and then revealed no, about no, most I'm, of them in the early I, 70s. I went to the early 70s ones, and then yeah. I had a Glastonbury phase. But there was a phase when I was at the NME where I couldn't stand the idea of staying overnight. Reading, yeah. you went to Reading, didn't you? I've been and seen a couple of acts. You know, I, I used to go to the Crystal Palace days. The summer to me is, you know, but people, I, there's nothing against it. I just never have done it. Um, but it, 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 there's the Irma Bombic. Uh, 
uh, line I always quote, you know, some people like to go back to the land, I like to go back to the hotel. And I always think, I, I've never had the attraction, my mates would never camp out somewhere to see a bunch of groups. So I've never been to a festival, but I have, I could have seen the stones in Hyde Park. I could have seen, I mean, that's not necessarily a festival, but, I, you know, I live in central London. And what's that, 69? 69. I remember uh, sitting around in our, uh, there used to be a concrete boat in our estate we all gathered on, and there was a few of us who liked rock music and stuff, and they said, should we, the Rolling Stones are playing in Hyde Park, which is easier to find than this one, by the way. Uh, and, and the number one bus would literally go from our estate, 27 minutes, you're at the Hyde Park corner. And we thought, should we do that? It, it, what's it cost to get in? Nothing, that's what I'm saying. Should we go up there and see the Rolling Stones? There'd be a load of people, wouldn't there? Well, it will, but we, we ain't doing nothing. And we sat around for ages uh, discussing whether we should go and see the Stones. And, and then Peter King, who had no interest in music, came over and basically said, um, I'm going swimming. I said, well, we're going to go and see the Rolling Stones. He went, I'm going swimming. Don't you like this? And I said, oh, Southwark Park, open air Lido. And he said, I'm going to go swimming. And the conversation kind of came around to his point of view. So instead of going to see the stones in Hyde Park, we all went swimming, right? But that, that I always think is a perfectly legitimate alternative. It's, uh, I marvel at people who were in the right place at the right time. Our dear friend uh, uh, Rob Chapman, R.C. Scribbler, on, uh, he seems to have known what was going on yes, all the time. I, I, <laughs> we just used to bumble along, oh, Rolling Stones, we're going to see them another time for free, 20, 20 minutes his away. His entire life is about being in the right place at the right time. It is, it? Yeah. and having the and right so drop. Drake came on for his third song. Yeah, think, and, and he I had the drop seen. on it then. I never had the drop on Since anything Barrett, yeah. in my so, life. So who have you missed? Oh, t tons of people. Who tons have you not of, seen? Tons of people. My son wants to wring my neck every time we meet. It's got nothing to do with music. Anyway, but no, yeah. It, when he says, like, um, like I, we all can think of who we could have gone and seen, but you didn't. You didn't. You know, you look and say, like you say, Nick Drake or any band you want to name. They were playing less than 20 minutes away, and you didn't go. <laughs> you just didn't go. I mean, uh, uh, a Pink Floyd, for example. You know, you look at, and all right, I was 12, 13, but I was pretty hip 12, 13 year old. But you pick and choose your gigs you go to, but you just never went. That's surely that's true of all of us. And those who did are either liars or just, you know, uh, crackpots. You, never, you didn't know what was going on. So, what's the best gig you ever saw? Best. Average white band at the marquee. That was the best night I ever had. That may not be the greatest band, but I'll never lie about it. Uh, that and Emerson Lake and Palmer at the Pavilion. Because for me, at the Pavilion at Christmas they played, the uh, cinema. Yeah. And uh, uh, we had good seats and we had a great night. Now, I may listen back to recordings of those, although the average white band were great, uh, and think that ain't the greatest. But for me, it was. I can't remember a song in the set list, but those are the two nights. Oh, wasn't that great? And I think I've told you before, when you used to come out the marquee, uh, it was so little and so packed and so great with the average white band that the sweat used to fall off the ceiling and you get that white line across your black shoes. Uh, and that would be human sweat yeah. reduced to salt. Tide, tide now, that's a good gig. Right. That's a good gig. Yeah. You've actually got human remains on your shoes. Uh, by the way, these are from, uh, these are the David Bowie range of vans. I've really, honestly, they are. Look, that's Blackstar. Thank you very much. I've also got the ones with the green and blue that are the dots from the Space Oddity album. Oh, yeah. Don't just sling this look together. Uh, but in the, in the marquee, it would literally have uh, uh, dropped from the ceiling. But day, days I didn't mind going to, the Crystal Palace ones. I'll tell you, yeah. So, uh, where I live, 
Another easily accessible park is Southwark Park. Uh, it's easy, you can see the trees, you come out the station, there it is, unlike this, you know, Narnia we're in now, this Brigadoon. Uh, so, uh, my mate uh, managed to screw out of, oh no, no, managed to convince uh, Southwark Council that what we need, and it still runs the Southwark Park Festival. And it has, it's had some turns, he's only got a limited budget. True story, this. Uh, and uh, that, you know, on days like this, it's usually in July. I don't think it's happening this year for obvious reasons. At any rate, his name's Phil, and he's a great old friend of mine, and he's in charge of it. And he does what he can with the budget. He's had, like, the real thing. Chaz and Dave used to do it, headlining. Uh, if it's £1,500 or whatever it is for the top of the bill, it'd be an all-day thing. Anyway, about maybe 10 years ago, he had Joe Brown booked, which is a good booking. Joe Brown book, and, and elsewhere on the bill there were various people who had one hit, and We Georgie Wood was on. We Georgie Wood must have been 91 by then, no joke. We Georgie Wood was on. Uh, here's a man who, you know, topped the bill when Flanagan and Allen were on their way up. Uh, <laughs> honestly. So We Georgie Wood is on, and he's on, uh, he's on about two before uh, Joe Brown. And this happens in these things. Joe's probably got another gig after it, might have had one before. He turns up about an hour before it. But we, Georgie Wood, and I can't understand this, overstayed. His act went on really long. He, he, he comes from that area, and he did, you know, there's a crowd like this there and, uh, in, in the park, it's all free. And he played and he played, and they were going, get off. And he went, here's another one you might not remember, and telling the bloke put the tape on. And we, Georgie Wood, was supposed to have done 25 minutes, did an hour. Now, with Southwark Council, you've got, as you know here, a license to bang. Anyway, my mate Phil was like, oh, we Georgie Woody wouldn't get off, and now we're all behind, and I don't know what we're going to do. I can't remember who followed him. Um, some, uh, you know, remnants of a 60s act came on and played some songs, and they went a little over as well. Now, he has to go back to the little porter cabin where Joe Brown is, and Joe's person answers the door, and there's Joe in the background. Hello, mate. He says, hello. Yeah, I spoke to you. you spoke, yeah, but Joe, I'm so sorry. Um, you're booked to do 50 minutes here. He said, could you do half hour? Because we've got a close. Uh, and he said, I felt so bad. He said, and Joe Brown, who's just the gentleman, greatest, nicest fellow, looked at him and went, half hour? I've got to cut down to half hour. What for? And he said, well, we, Joe, he said, Kim, we, Georgie Wood. So he said, could you do half hour? So Joe's, go on then, I'll do half hour, right? So he said, I felt so bad. At any rate, this next act, whoever they were, a tremolos, a whoever, they went over as well. Now he knows it's 25 to 10, he's got to finish at 10, no matter what. Boom, out go the lights. That's the end of the all-day festival. So on comes Joe, eventually, looking thunder at him from the other side of the stage. I'm coming. Well, now he's, he, Joe's only got about 22 minutes now, but he hasn't told him that. So Joe does the act, and he's brilliant. He throws everything in a sharp relief. And he realises, well, he said, ladies and gentlemen, I'd better wind this up. I'd like to have played more, but I've been told I've got to finish. I'm awful. Anyway, here's a song uh, that a lot of you might know means the world to me. It's a song I played with George Harrison, and, and it's a right round of applause. It's going to be See You In My Dreams. So uh, thank you very much. I'm sorry about the short set. But here we go. And he gets that ukulele and says, I'll see you in my dreams. What Phil at that point remembers is 
there's a firework display set to go off at exactly 10 o'clock. <laughs> Honestly. And Joe's like, see you in my... He threw down the mic. He walked up. He grabbed hold of me. I'm never going to doing this again. How could you? And my mate ran and hid in a porter cabin with a bottle of beer for an hour until it was all over. Joe was halfway through the most emotional song in his library. And the fireworks just lit the Guy, bang, bang, you couldn't hear a word. Poor old Joe Brown. Oh, 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 look at that. I do apologise, everybody. Actually, this beer, <laughs> this beer, I looked on the back, it comes from Spa Road in Bermondsey, if you're drinking this. It's about five streets from where I was born. I could have saved myself all the heartache of getting here by hopping on the brewer's dray this morning. I'd have been here in plenty of time. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry, where were we? Well, I was going to just uh, to ask, I was reading a thing about the Sex Pistols this morning, the big controversy about the Danny Boyle film mm. and the legal action about the, yeah. the music. You know. I was thinking of asking you, are there any great um, rock and roll stories that have not yet been made into a biopic? There haven't. should be. Not in rock and roll terms, I don't think, because unless... I mean, obviously, um, Mark is far and away the world's authority on the Beatles, but sometimes I think... I mean, I watched that last Beatles documentary eight days a week about their last dates in the States, ending up at Candlestick Park, and it's great. It's good. I mean, uh, it's good. In that, we have, um, like, God bless him, but Whoopi Goldberg, and I think Eddie Izzard at one point holding forth about it. And the film seems to focus for 60% of its time on the girls in the audience. Why there's never been a thorough one of tracking those women down now? They never do that. It's all a load of blokes. And what this meant, great respect, Mark, what this meant was and how this... Those, my sister, as you know, Climb back in the palace gates was on the front of every newspaper. I talk to my sister now, and if I say something casual, like, because um, Ringo, her old Ringo more than Paul, and she would say, he was born this date and that date. She went, we went over to his house once and uh, tried to deliver a birthday cake. We did it to John, we gave John a birthday cake and a shirt we bought for him with the Union Jack. And that story, to me, it's great having the nuts and bolts and the who, the what, the why, the when, but the, vis- the visceral, that moment, what it actually impacted on. And what you need, and I, I've never, you know, played to a gallery, but what you need is those girls, because the, not the blokes, if you look at all the early photos of the Beatles, it's 80% girls in the audience. Yeah. They were the wind beneath their wings, but they've never been traced. They've, no one's ever gone around and said, day to day, how did it impact you? And whether they say, you know, I had to up work one day, or what happened was my dad said this, and another day we hitchhiked 45 miles, that to me is worth a million people saying, oh yeah, you know, uh, uh, Sergeant Pepper was recorded here and all of that. So you need that, but I've never seen a great documentary on the actual people who were in at the same time as the Beatles, long before, you know, the boys found out the stones were hollow if you will. Come on, face facts. Anyway, they, um, they, uh, but that's the, that's the film I'd like to see. But that, against that, I'm reading a book now, and if you were uh, subscribed to The Treehouse on Patreon, uh, you'll know this because I was raving about it. Um, I'll do a thing on there, on the, uh, uh, on, the, on, the tr- on the Patreon thing, called Now That Never Happened, Did It? Which is uh, uh, where I take a showbiz autobiography and give a flavour because no matter how famous some of these people are, I'm talking about showbiz types. We've done Daniel LaRue and Mike Yarwood and, uh, and Cliff Richard. They're, when they come to sit down to do their autobiography, 
they actually haven't done much. And so they sit with a ghostwriter and make stuff up. And I'll read a passage from the book, and we all join in and say, now that never happened, did it? Uh, Mike Yarwood is so thin. I know this is not strictly rock and roll stuff. He spends two and a half pages talking about when he bought an orange juicer once, right? <laughs> Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And to no end, I'd seen a man in the pub and you could do 10 glasses of orange juice. But as it turned out, I didn't need 10 glasses of orange juice. So we put it back under the kitchen sink. That's it. That's the highlight of it. And it's like so, an Alan Partridge uh, sketch. Exactly. Exactly. So we do this thing on there. And so I was looking along the shelves in the week. And this does come around to the great non-rock and roll stories. Because we flatter ourselves that, of course, you know, rock music has some kind of different lineage and, and story than uh, other forms of entertainment. And I'll I tell you what, I took it down. I've got it with me. I took, I took this down from the shelf. That. Uh, that's really not on the train here. That's Bud Flanagan's book. My crazy life. Exactly. It's been on my shelves 35 to 40 years and I've never read it. And because uh, I thought I know what it's like, I'll get round to it one day. It's going to be core in them days, you know, what it was like, because I know he's from Whitechapel. I've never read anything like it in my life. If Tom Waits wrote a novel, this is it. <laughs> when Dylan, I'm not joking, you'll find out I'm telling the absolute truth in a second. When Dylan fantasizes about, you know, I did this and I used to do that. This bloke actually did. This is the, and I ain't saying this for effect, I, I, you know, you can tell I ain't even planned. This is the greatest rock and roll book I've ever read. Bud Flanagan, born in 1896, right? We all know Flanagan and Allen underneath the arches, strolling, and you think, well, it's just some anodyne old musical act. Don't kid yourself. Here's a bloke who was born from Polish immigrants, 10 of them living in two rooms in Whitechapel. His brothers go and join the army. At 14, Bud decides uh, I don't, the, this poverty in school ain't for me. So at 14, one day, he gets up and doesn't go to school. Instead, inspired by films he's seen, he wants to go to America. So he walks to Southampton. Walks, doesn't tell his mum, doesn't tell him. Walks to Southampton, sees a, all the, goes to the dockside and there's all the chalkboards advertising positions on the boats, joins a queue, gets to the front. He's 14, but looks 17. They say to him, um, so uh, what do you do? And he's heard people say, I'm, I'm, I'm a you know, chippy or I'm a kitchen star. And he just says, I'm an electrician. Lovely. We could use you. When can you leave? And he says, any time. And they say, well, you haven't got anything with you. He says, no, but I can go any time. And they said, well, go over there. It'll give you two uniforms, two pairs of boots. Da, 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 da. That one up there is leaving for New York, right? Five o'clock tonight. You're still, yep, off he goes. He gets on this boat, is assigned a berth, assigned a bunk. Uh, they pull, the first thing he has to do while they're still in port is put in light bulbs. He can do that. As they leave port, 
uh, he's asked to go and strip down a machine. And they say, well, what, you got, what do you reckon about this? And he says, and he bursts, he says, mate, I'm not an electrician. And he goes, oh, no, no. He said, another one. Now, a, no, he says, he says, you kids always get on the boat. He says, what's going to happen to me? He said, go down the kitchen. So he goes down the kitchen and starts washing up. Now, I'm crazy in it. So he washes up on the way to New York and does all kinds of jobs, falls in with this other kid who says, I'm jumping ship in New York, I ain't coming back. He said, I want, I want to do that. And they do, and he describes how it was done. They just get off that, you always have an old lady down with her bags, have a look, if no one's looking, run towards the sheds. He does this, but this woman gives him a $5 tip. Away he goes, and now he's in the east side of New York. He walks through the gates. Now, having walked out to go to school one morning, he's in the east side of New York, and he describes it better than Chaplin does in his book, which is a great one, how poverty-stricken it was. And he says, I've jumped out the frying pan into the fire. This is worse than Whitechapel. He spends six hours wandering around the you know, east side of New York, uh, describing it brilliantly, until he thinks, I'm going to have to get back on this ship. And as he does, he hears a voice on the other side of the road go, Bobby, which he was known as in London. Now, it's a kid from his district who left a year before, an older kid. I thought it was you. Offers him in two rooms. And I hate to say it, we ain't even got to the the astonishing part of this year. Offers him to stay in two rooms. He says, I'll give it a go. He says, how can I get work? He says, go to this bloke. You can sell newspapers. He's, he starts as a newspaper seller in New York, pre-First World War. He does that for six months till he's outside a hotel and a fellow says, uh, we, got, we need kids at Western Union. Uh, can you join us? So he goes to work with Western Union delivering telegrams. While he's at Western Union, uh, he, he, you know, he's, he's making a few quid, and nothing like to get out of trouble. But he, he works up a little act with another one, it, it t does a few auditions, goes bottom of the bill in some things. Anyway, I'll, say, I'll, I'll, I'll try and price it. Eventually, there, like in those days, there was 20 act, acts on a bill, and you get $5 eight times a day, whatever. So he starts this, and then he goes off on the road. Now, hang on, one minute. Let me, read you. No, let me read you this. Do the folks so, back home know any of this? Or so, is it, so here we go. So mum? now, he, they said, do you want to come on the road with us? He said, well, I've got a good job at Western Union. I said, come on the road. So he says, uh, from there, I was doing eight shows a day, often nine on Sundays. I went to Seattle, San Francisco, Chicago, New York, Boston, and Philadelphia. From then to Milwaukee, Sioux City, Kansas, Butte, Montana, Portland, Oregon, and Los Angeles. While we were in Los Angeles, I heard a rumor that we could possibly go into Australia. This was the best trip I ever took. I found myself in Honolulu, Tahiti. Rorotonga and finally Wellington. Standing on the deck at six o'clock one morning, we saw the bird of paradise magic of Tahiti, but it all turned to ashes when we went ashore. Behind the vivid facade, there were wooden hovels and listless natives scratching their sores in the harsh sunlight. Scores of Chinese laborers and stevedores staggering under their burdens. A beggar stood waiting for us with elephantitis in his legs, swollen as big as a tree. Now, Tom Waits would die for that imagery, right? That's fantastically written. Isn't From there, I hate to say it, but he goes around Australia until he uh, hears that the First World War's broken out. He thinks, I'd better go home. He works, uh, gets enough to get his passage back to San Francisco, but doesn't know how to get to New York where he's got enough for a boat. So he starts doing the hobo life. Down at the rail yard, they start saying to him, listen, kid, what you do, these hundred trains here, that's leaving for Baltimore. Get that, and you can get that, and another one, and another one into New York. Now, how you ride the rails is this. Not like in the films where you open it up and jump in. You climb this ladder, you get on the top, and you work your belly until you look down in the glass portals and see if it's empty of grain. Then when we slow down, come down the side and get in. Anyway, he does all that, he learns all this, he hangs, hangs out with his hobos until the police knock on the door and arrest him. Where I'm up to in the book now, he's doing 25 days in a Detroit prison. Now, you can read as many Eric Clapton autobiographies as you like. No. Bud Flanagan no. in the first five chapters <laughs> make you think, the music's better. 
But that, my friends, so when you say... A haircut any... 100 might as well not no, put exactly. pen to paper. Exactly. There's just no point, is there? Exactly. My, so I'm sorry about that, but I'm, I'm enthused with so, that. So, you're, uh, you're, you're due to go on the road. Oh, you're yes, going to show us what's in this. So I forgot uh, this. Yeah, what have we got there, first of all? Go on. Now everyone knows I'm bold. Uh, oh, yeah, sorry about that. That's what I'm, I meant to do. Oh, thank you. I meant to do that. Oh, the other thing I brought, because we're going to talk about great summer records, yeah? Okay. There's only, I think, you know, we're all of a certain age here. Forgive me if you're outside of that. But when you think of summer albums, you know, getting the gang together and going down the coast, them long, hot summer days, just nothing matters anymore. You know, and the, the wind blowing through, you're young, you're never going to be like that again. Everyone's got a summer album like that. But I've always thought nothing sums that feeling of freewheeling, happy-go-lucky spirit as much as Neil Young's On The Beach. Because if ever an album was ever mistitled, it is On The Beach. It's not the Brian Wilson take, is it? And there is the 8-track. It's not Cliff Richards song, is it? No, it's, no, it's not. It, oh, no, it isn't, exactly. <laughs> when it came out, I thought he may have covered the that. The bossanova. over. He the may have covered roll. it. Uh, continue, I do apologise. So you're due, you're due to go on the road with uh, Whispering Bob in the, yes. in the, in the most postponed um, tour since... Harrisonbaker.com. Uh, Bob Harris and I are going on the road. Um, we have differing styles. <laughs> but therein lies the evenings out. And I don't know if on the last one of these I did, I told you how it came about. It's the only other time I've been out. You didn't know, tell us. Because I think, have you only done one, or I'm imagining? We've done one. It's just we did one. one. But on the basis a, of that, you've, you've, done a, you've booked a whole national tour. Well, it's, it's the only other, well, it was just before lockdown. And uh, uh, his wife, who's his, 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 uh, also his manager, called me out of the blue and said, Danny, Bob's doing a thing, a private thing, at a, a, a local festival in the Midlands, uh, but he doesn't want to do it on his own. He's wondering if you want to do it with him. Now, I must be absolutely honest. I thought, do what? It was just a little one of these local arts festivals. But, you know, I know both her and Bob, and I said, yeah, of course. Forgot all about it rather like today, because as we know, dates don't just roll around, they leap right out at you. Uh, so when you emailed me on Thursday and said, you're all right for Saturday, aren't you? Oh, shit, Saturday. Okay, uh, but here we are. Anyway, so off I went. Uh, I, I got a train up to a place in the black country. I didn't know where this place was or what it would be. So, uh, and it was just a little local arts festival based in a hotel. And uh, I got there first, and I saw this little room, a third of the side of this that we were going to play in, and I hadn't given it a thought what we were going to do. And Bob turns up, hi, Danny, hi. I said, hello, Bob, how's it going? So what do you think? What, do we, what, what should we... I won't even try, you know, because as we know, it, it's very... Bob's, I once described Bob's voice as being like a vibrator buried in six feet of sand. But it... <laughs> And it is. What, what, what do you think we should do? So I said, well, we'll just go out there and um, tear it up. Now, that is my style. It's not Bob's style. What do you mean? Uh, so I said, well, honest, Bob, trust me, you know, uh, th 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 how long we got to do? Oh, we've got to do an hour and a half. I said, oh, my God, hour and a half. I won't get a dust out of my throat. I said, but nevertheless, <laughs> honestly, I said, all right, we can do it. We'll just tell stories. Yeah, but when you mean tell stories. I said, this is honestly backstage. I said, Bob, trust me. We'll do the first half. I'll ask questions of you. You ask questions of me. And then it was a stage like this and I said then we'll ask people there if you've got a question write it on a bus ticket a post-it note an envelope put it on the stage and we'll walk up and we'll read it that seems a bit I said no honestly that's the gag and we walk to this pile and take it out and read the question okay anyway it went wonderfully it went fantastic I didn't know a lot about Bob you know because he's not he, he, unlike me he's not very you know what was bumped. he telling stories about then well he was I mean I would Southern say to him band? I said to him you know because I didn't know him in the first bit I just said um 
uh, uh, so the first, you know, Bob was the first record you bought, stuff like that. And he was very, I, I didn't know. And then we got round to Bob, who can't you bear? Who is, you know, and Bob Harris is lovely. He couldn't, you know, be, he said, oh, if I'm honest, Roxy music. And I went, what? I don't like, I don't like Roxy music. I said, but, and, and, and teasing stuff out of Bob, and it was not one hour trip to do it to me. Uh, and, he, and, he, and I said, we've ever been in a band, and he has. Uh, but it was literally ad-libbing like this. And, he, and then I said to him, um, uh, he said to me, were you ever in a band? And I, and I said, which you probably all know this story, I said, yeah, Led Zeppelin for 35 minutes, which is a true story, right? Everyone knows this. And I told this, even, well, I said, well, and like half a dozen hands went out. I said, well, I'll tell you this, and I told it as quickly as I could, and how I was really, really in Led Zeppelin for 35 minutes. And, uh, and it went great, and then we did the break, and we came back and we did the questions, and he was really enjoying himself. He said, I, f I thought there'd be a structure, and I said, well, there is, but the structure is, his two blokes who have been, you know, in longer than me, like he was Mark Boland's best man, I didn't know that. Uh, no, best man at Mark Boland's wedding, and uh, anyway, so all of this, and it was always very much the, um, you know, uh, the, 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 the B-movie John Peel, but of course he has just as rich stories to tell, if not better. So we did the second half, and we wrapped it up, and we said, thank you very much. And we both thought, there's something here. You know, uh, obviously, he gets as much time as me. I would never be as, you know, bumptious as that. And we finished, and he was really up for it. And his wife said, this is a tour. And somebody was there said, this is a tour. So it is. But we went for a drink. And I wasn't going to go for a drink afterwards. So he said, come and have a couple of glasses of wine. And he was really up. And I was talking to him for ages, and somebody was saying to us, were you really in Led I said, that story's true. I was in Led Zeppelin for 35 minutes. And I felt somebody goose me from behind. And I turned around, and it was Robert Palm. Right? It's absolutely true. Because it's the, it's the arts festival. I had no idea about this. The arts festival he basically underwrites in his, where he comes from, in this, this nearby where he comes from. And he went... I remember that. It was at the Cure Ball, you know, the thing takes place. And he went, that was a funny story. And I said, was that you laughing before it ended? And he said, yeah, yeah. And he had a great night. Now, I don't want to hold anyone to this, but had this gone ahead outside of COVID, it was going to be Harris, Baker and Plant. He enjoyed it so much. He said, I'd just love to tell stories. He said, outside of an interview, he said, I'd love to join you. He may do. Uh, on some nights, we're going to have other people come out and join us. But that was all set in set in stone like everything else until now but fingers crossed we start at the beginning of October again uh, and we've just added dates in Glasgow and all points beyond but it's, it, is a, it is a terrific night yes I can do stuff like this but hearing Bob actually be uh, unchained and, and challenge. And he, no, you know, normally, he, he, <laughs> for some reason, Bob's Look the kind out. of DJ that likes to tell you information about the record yes, you just he, heard. Yeah, he does, he does. <laughs> He's also that, that's the kind of fresh style That's the kind of fresh style he's bought to broadcasting. Uh, I, uh, and the, but the pair of us are, yeah, chalk and cheese, but it's, a, it's, a, it's genuinely a surprising night out. Because I, did you? I mean, but he said he hated Roxy music. Why? Oh, all that, you know, uh, Brian Ferry all uh, uh, hated him. He didn't Bob Harris say that, and I teased a lot more out of him. Uh, and, of course, he asked me, and I, again, treading on previous guests' toes about Queen, and that got a lot of booze from the audience. But there's always a group you can't like. In fact, on my way here today, this is just another thought, when I couldn't find it here, and I knew you'd started, and I thought, oh, if I was on the radio, and thems were the days, uh, those, uh, going to see a band who starts too early, when you get there and they're on, you think, that's not them, is it? And you push open the door and you've arranged to miss the support band. Face facts, Gary. Uh, and uh, and uh, 
you, you're right, but you've and they're already on. I've done that a few times. That's a horrible feeling, and they're already playing. And you make your way to your seat. 10cc I saw start early and finish early. They couldn't wait to get in and out of there. Uh, Mountain came on earlier than advertised. Quintessence were supporting them. <laughs> so we arranged to miss Quintessence, and, but we missed about a quarter of an hour of mountain. So again, if you're part of the trias, let me know, please, uh, bands who started early or you nearly missed. So any other groups that you, you didn't like then and you still don't like? Oh, stacks of them. Yeah. Um, uh, no, well, Grateful no, actually, Dead. I say that. There's not. There's no group I really didn't, uh, you know, I have a, uh, you know, I always make this joke about Queen. I, I didn't like Queen, but that's, I've not, no, Real, it's just funny to say that a lot of the time because they were neither Mott the Hoople, Roxy Music, Led Zeppelin, or Deep Purple, and they were these magpies who are now are seen as originals and all of that. Yeah. Uh, supporting Mott the Hoople was exactly where they should have been. So, uh, I, I've never, no, I, I never did. Uh, uh, but, I, you know, if other people do, that's fine. I, I, we're all too old for all of that, God knows. As I read the other day. Uh, we, we grew up in a world that has all but disappeared and died, as have we. <laughs> it's a terrible thought, but that's the, it said, the, when people ask them, uh, how old are you? It's an anagram. It should be, how are you old? And that's how I feel. That's exactly how I feel. On that note, ladies and gentlemen, oh. David Essence's brother. <laughs> we never got to that. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Want truly hydrated skin? Medocia's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER.